and welcome to the Green Room Podcast. You have your co-host here, Chase Banks, with you today. Um, Christine will not be joining us today, but we have a special guest in the, today's episode, and our special guest is Graham Rosner. Graham, go ahead and say hello. Hello, everybody. So Graham is our in-house audio specialist. He's our audio engineer for the Green Vibes Project, um, and we have brought him on to today's episode to get a little nerdy with you guys. We're going to talk tech talk, talk about microphones and what the recording process for all of our Green Vibes tracks have been in the past and um, and how Graham got involved with the organization to begin with. So Graham, why don't you, do you want to start and just kind of talk about yourself for a minute and just maybe how you and I even first met? Sure thing. So uh, I went to high school in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, which is where I'm from. And then I went to the University of South Carolina studying French horn and composition. And actually, we first met uh, pretty long before we ever worked together. And that was uh, in the Carolina band. I was a member of the media team. Yeah. Do you remember this? Yes. Actually, now briefly, briefly, very, (laughs) very briefly. I remember that now. Yes. Yes. So we were on the media team together, but we didn't work very closely. And then... um, Fast forward to my third year, and we took Music 565, which is a fantastic class run by Jeff Francis, who's an amazing audio engineer. Absolutely. Um, And that's where we both learned pretty much everything that I know about classical recording from him. And then um, the semester after, Chase reached out to me to see if I would help him record uh, an audition tape. Yeah, that was the My World Percussion Group tape. Um, and I had this, uh, multi-solo, um, all set up all these drums out all over the place, uh, spine by Michael Lorello, uh, for those of you that are familiar with that. Yeah. And I was a complete rookie at the time, but, uh, you took a chance on me and I think what we came up with ended up sounding pretty good. Yeah. It, it worked out great. And for that, you know, for what it's worth, I actually did get into that, uh, ensemble that I auditioned for. So that was pretty cool. It must've been good. Yeah. It must've been great. That's all it was though. That was the <laughs> audio. I actually, I got there and they said, look, we didn't like anything else. It's just the audio on that one thing it sounded so good. You're welcome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about Graham and I and our friendship. And then after the WPG thing, um, had the Green Vibes Series 1 recordings that we needed to take care of, and Graham was also amazing and came in clutch to help us out with those. Uh, so I guess, Graham, what was what was that experience like for you? Had you done many sessions of that size before? I had never done a session that size, but it's actually worth mentioning that um, I was involved with the Green Vibes Project before we even knew that I was going to be working with you on that. I was actually the recording engineer on the premiere concert. Um, I just happened to be the person working that day. So I was there at the very first Green Vibes performance, which is kind of crazy. That's true too. That's, that's, you bring up a great point. Yeah. I completely forgot about that. Um, Mm -hmm. so that was pretty neat. And you would have likely been here with us for our series two performance, but, uh, that blasted COVID-19 has really done us in, it seems like, but we'll get into that yeah. later. So back to Certainly. the glory days of series one. <laughs> um, so you were there for the performance. Um, we did that. We had some live playback, um, some speaking in between all of the pieces that was actually cued by Christine, uh, my wife mm-hmm. and the executive director. 
Um, so she was doing all kinds of queuing off stage. We had people bringing in and out plants to kind of signify climate change and other environmental effects on uh, on the planet and all of us. But let's get um, let's get back to the tech talk here. So we had four pieces. So we, we had the premiere concert. I went off to Europe for a month, and then we came, I got back, and we actually were fortunate enough to record in the same hall. Um, on USC's campus, and that was Johnson Hall, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Johnson Hall and the Darlin' Moore School of Business. That is an absolutely f- phenomenally beautiful hall, I have to say. I mean... It's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, I feel like not that many people from the School of Music really get over there as much as they should, but that is a phenomenal venue. Um, so... Graham, I reach out to you and I start talking to you about these pieces. What were your initial thoughts? Because we, you said you never recorded a session of that size. And the biggest setup, I think, was probably Andrea Vinay's piece uh, titled White Ranger. If Definitely that one. You, you agree on that? So I guess oh, yeah. <laughs> get, let's talk some specs on that specific piece. Um, that was a lot of gear. That was a lot of gear. Yeah. So when you reached out to me, my first thought was like a little bit of panic, but I was really excited. Um, Once you started talking about how many, I think I got you to send me an instrumentation list. And I was like, this is a lot of instruments. So I'm sitting here with the White Ranger score. I just got this mailed to me uh, by Dr. Andrew Vinay. She teaches at um, the University of North Florida. So we led a consortium for this piece um, in 2019 for vibraphone solo with percussion quartet. And uh, Graham and I were just talking about the instrumentation for this piece. There's there's a lot of gear. For the soloist, um, which I was fortunate enough, I got to play that part. Um, so vibraphone solo, we got to play on an empty beer keg and then a break drum. Um, there's a little breakdown part in the middle where... You get to kind of solo on the keg, and it's a lot of fun, a lot of high energy playing. Um, but here, let's let's look at some of the instrumentation here. So we've got uh, for one percussion one, we've got chimes, some metal cooking pans, metal bowls, um, some different pitched gongs, a suspended cymbal. Some of the other players have tin cans, glockenspiel, uh, metal trash can, things like that. Um, And as you notice, a lot of things are metallic um, in nature here in this piece. And that's because we specifically asked Andrea to write this piece using a lot of metallic, a lot of trashy um, type of sounds. Because the Green Vibes Project, of course, commissions pieces not using wood, but trying to use as much uh, recycle-friendly material as possible. So a lot of metallics, obviously things like the vibraphone. But one instrument in particular is um, featured in every part except the solo part, is called a lagerine. Um, now, Graham, had you ever heard of this before? I had not. So a, a lagerine actually is an instrument that Dr. Vinay created. Um, for those percussionists or musicians out there that have heard of a rhythm crasher before, it has a very similar sound to that. Um, but Dr. Vinay um, created this instrument specifically for this piece. So what we had to do to make this instrument went to the hardware store and got these small pieces of sheet metal, um, probably about a six by 10 inch piece of sheet metal, and actually affixed beer bottle caps 
to the sheet metal to give it this trashy kind of cymbal, kind of metallic, kind of rhythm crasher type of sound. Um, and it was pretty neat. And so I guess, Graham, do you remember back to series one in that recording session? Um, I don't know. What, what were your thoughts of the instrument of the, of the sound of the instrument? And if you remember, you know, did we do anything special with the miking? Maybe not, but... I remember that I thought it would be really important to capture that just because it's such a great splashy kind of sound that gets out of the way really quickly. And I knew we wanted definitely to close mic it. So I close mic'd every one of the, I didn't close mic every instrument, but I definitely close mic'd every lagerine because that was such an important, or lagerine. Lagerine. Uh, yeah. That was such an important element yeah. of that piece. Yeah, it, it sounded really neat. Um, and going forward for series three, I've actually got um, some of our composers even interested in incorporating that instrument into their pieces as well. So, uh, maybe, th- maybe it'll get some traction. Who knows? We'll see. Um, well, what, what else about series one specifically Andrea's piece? Do you, do you remember that maybe stuck out to you? Well, one issue we ran into was recording in that hall. We had a limited number of inputs. So that caused us to have to be a little bit creative. So I I decided pretty quickly that we didn't have enough inputs to close mic every single instrument. So when you say we ran out, like how how many were we limited to? I think we had access to about 20, uh, maybe 24, but some (laughs) some of the... Yeah, some of the inputs were kind of broken. So we had to use about 20, I think, and that was our maximum. And we could have used 40 and that would have closed mic'd every instrument. Oh yeah. So there, there were mics all over the place for that piece. Um, but that was, that was a ton of fun to play. That was actually, I think one of my favorite recording session days personally. Yeah, that was a good one. There was a lot of energy in the room on that day. Yeah. It, it felt great. You know, we had the, the percussion quartet, um, backing me up and they were, they were sounding phenomenal. Um, everyone was really just in the zone that day. And we also had, we had an extra videographer as well. Oh yeah. So we had Alex there that day as well. So we had, um, let's see, had to have at least five cameras set up throughout the, throughout the percussion setup. And then on top of that, then had Alex, uh, free handing a camera as well with you in the booth, Christine sitting in the audience, uh, trying to help produce as well. And then, um, just laying it down. And that was, that was, that was a lot of fun. This is, this is a really great piece. So any percussionists out there listening, if you want a really fun vibe solo with a backup quartet, um, that is, that is definitely a great, great piece to check out. So, well, sweet. Well, let's talk about some of the other series one pieces then. Um, one of the other ones that, um, might be special to talk about is Andrew Patzik's piece, a castle in the air. Um, this is one of Andrew's, um, he, he calls it his best piece ever. Uh, you, you can quote him on that. Um, but that was a lot of fun. And that was also interesting because Graham, I don't believe you were there that day. No. Yeah. You had to engineer that one yourself and you did a great job because it sounded really good. Thanks man. Yeah. That was, that was a lot of fun. Um, that was just Christine and I that day. And luckily I had her there because I would have gone insane otherwise. Um, but yeah, so we tracked the audio and the video in the hall. Um, and then I was able to actually send it over to Graham and Graham, you took care of all the, the post-processing and, and like I said, you know, Graham's our audio engineer. So pretty much all of the green vibes music that you hear has all been engineered, um, directly through his ears. And I think it sounds wonderful. So Graham, you know, thank you again for all of your work for the project. I mean, it is, 
really been phenomenal. So, Thank you. Yeah. Um, so Patrick's piece was fun. So we had to do that remotely. And here's a, a fun one. I don't know if you knew this, but I, I sl- had to slip this in there. I realized that after recording, we did actually miss one measure. Um, and it was one slight variation. So I did have to track that at my apartment at the time. Really? Uh, but we slipped that I, in. I never and- knew that. <laughs> See, not even the audio engineer knew. I didn't even notice. Yeah, that it sounded great. So, so there was there was one sneaky measure in there, um, but it's perfect in the recording, and it was perfect for every performance, and it always will be. So there you go. There you go. Well, um, there were two other pieces to that session. We had Trappist One, and then um, a big floating blue ball. So which which one do you think we should start with? Let's talk about Trappist. That was an absolute beast of a recording. Yeah, Trappist One was composed by Jesse Strickland. He was up in New York for a little while. He had a choir gig and was composing a lot of music. And now I believe he is back in... I believe he's back in Alabama. So Trappist One. So that was a beast. So let's let's break that one down. So we had a vibraphone quartet, or that's that's what the piece is written for, vibraphone quartet. And we were originally playing this facing each other. Do you remember that? All four vibes were actually facing inwards. Yeah. And I think we decided that that just wasn't going to translate very well to recording. Yeah. So we actually, we did actually play the concert in that, um, in that setup all of all four vibraphones facing each other. And yes, that is correct. Four vibraphones. Um, a lot of metal. A lot of metal all in one place at one time. And I'll tell you one one really fun thing from that particular recording session piece was that we set a, a GoPro camera up probably 15, 20 feet in the air above us um, and looked down. And it was so freaking cool to see a... That shot is awesome. A green, a garnet, a black, and a gold vibraphone all on the same stage. It was That was pretty neat, I got to say. Um, but yeah, so so why uh, why audio wise did we choose to break it up and fan out and do more of an arc? Well, generally, I, I wanted to create some clarity in the stereo image. Mm-hmm. So if we had stacked them up, um, you would have had essentially no matter how you turned it, you would have had two vibraphones taking up the same space mm-hmm. uh, in the mix. And and I thought as wishy-washy as all the vibraphones were already mm-hmm. not having each one have its own little pocket of space that it could live in yeah. would get really confusing really quickly so that was just a decision we made and, and it ended up translating visually quite well um so that was good that it worked out that way yeah i think for audio and video purposes that was really great now graham you you brought up a word stereo image so for anyone listening that maybe isn't uh, musically inclined, or maybe just haven't haven't heard that term before. Can you kind of explain what you mean by stereo image? So a good way to think about stereo image is is just to look at the space in front of you. And there's three parameters that are helpful for the stereo image. So there's obviously left to right. So you can place an instrument anywhere left to right. But there's actually other dimensions as well. There's also depth, which is created by how much direct sound to diffuse sound. So if somebody was really far away from you, you would mostly hear the reflections of their voice, not their voice itself. Mm -hmm. So that's one way to create space, which is a part of the stereo image. And then there's also frequency. Mm -hmm. And you can think about that as up and down. 
So a higher frequency sound will be up and a lower frequency sound will be down. And that way you can make sure that things either take up the same space and reinforce each other or live in different spaces and create clarity. So that's what I was thinking about when I decided to spread all the vibraphones out. Mm -hmm. It allows you to create more clarity. Yeah, absolutely. And especially, Graham, when you have four of the same instrument all playing relatively close in the same range of the instrument as well. Definitely. Um, You know, you would obviously get some natural... Um, contrast if you had one vibraphone playing maybe in the lower register, another playing in a higher register. But Trappist 1 actually kept all of us fairly close um, on the range of the of the instrument. So Yeah, it's very mid-register except for the glockenspiel. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So by s- fanning us out like that way, so if you're looking at a stage from left to right having left middle left, middle right, right for vibraphones really help to, like Graham said, kind of spread out and create some clarity in that recording. Um, mm-hmm. So the last uh, piece we have to talk about from series one then is a big floating blue ball. Now that one technically challenging for the soloist is very hard. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I, I had a lot of, uh, a lot of recording time on that one, but that was, that was a really fun piece written by Ryan J. Williams. Um, Ryan normally writes a lot of marching band music. Um, but, uh, actually I guess we all went to school together. Did you, did you know Ryan or Jesse by chance? Yeah, I, I was in composition studio with both of them. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So, um, we all, all went to USC together, Jesse, Ryan, Graham, and I, and that's obviously how we all, all met and got together there. Um, but Ryan's piece was really cool. So it's vibraphone solo with another backup percussion quartet. And what's really neat, though, is that all the percussion sounds are recycled instruments. So one person was literally playing a Snapple bottle cap and actually popping the cap in and out. We had someone using a a peanut can and using the peanuts inside as a shaker. And then we had, I believe, some glass bottles. And you know what? I'm actually blanking on what the last one was. I think it was another can that he was uh, beating on. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's just another metal can, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that was pretty neat, and that was, um, I guess, let's talk about that miking situation. So we had a pair of stereo room mics, which every piece had, right? Mm-hmm. And then for Big Blue Ball, where did everybody have a spot on that one? Yep, we we spotted everybody, and then we had a stereo spot on the vibes, um, just so because the instruments were junk essentially they didn't necessarily project as well Mm -hmm. as the vibraphone which is obviously made to project and um so close micing each one of those allowed me to mix them in more um and give it a little bit more presence and i think that the ending effect is pretty cool yeah so i think wrapping all that up so series one we had a really great recording session graham was really creative um with his micing techniques all the stereo micing of the vibraphones figuring out how to Micah Keg and um, just all of his audio wonders. Um, so let's talk about going forward now. So Graham, after four series one, you you were just doing that pro bono for the project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just a, a friendly volunteer. A friendly volunteer, um, absolutely. And then when series two started rolling around, um, then I reached out to you and asked if you wanted to actually be a, a staff member and actually be 
on our staff as our audio engineer, and we were gracious and lucky enough to have you come on aboard. Yeah, I was absolutely thrilled to be a part of it. So with Series 2, that ended up happening during the COVID-19 pandemic, um, which we are still going through. It is June 30th, and we were supposed to have a premiere concert in mid-March and actually have a Florida tour where we would have gone to a couple universities and done a couple educational shows and then finally do our recording session, which was supposed to be, I believe, the first week of this month, right? The first week of June? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was I forgot what month it was. No, so I mean, haven't we all? I, I don't know what day it is. You know, if we get up in the morning <laughs> and put clothes on, that's an accomplishment. Um, so, yeah, we were supposed to have that recording session. And just because of this virus um, and it's spreading, you know, we've been a little delayed here. But we have recorded one piece so far. And that piece is Ocean Vibes by Taylor Ambrosio Wood. She's a video game composer based in Seattle and actually was just featured on the Composing for Percussion seminar um, run by Omar Carmenates. And so that's pretty cool for Taylor. So good opportunity for her there. Congrats. That's neat. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so Ocean Vibes was pretty neat. So I, I actually yet again had to do some work on this one. Um, but Graham, of course, comes in clutch and saves the day at the very, very end. Um, so for this piece, Graham, talk about your advice for me going forward with this. So we had, it's a vibraphone solo with backing track, and we had to record the audio in a separate location because we were filming on a beach. Yeah. So I think you had to use just a room in your house. Mm Mm-hmm. Because we didn't have a great sounding space, mm-hmm. um, we ended up just close micing the vibraphone yep. um, with a similar technique that we used to series one, which you can uh, you can see how we do that in that video. Mm-hmm. But this time with two large diaphragm condensers, yep. um, which ended up I think giving a pretty good sound. It's it's difficult to capture an instrument like the vibraphone. Uh, it's just it lives in the room so much. But I think it ended up sounding pretty good with some artificial reverb on there. Yeah, absolutely. So. With Graham's help, um, got that stereo pair set up onto the vibraphone. And then the really crazy process of this was then filming on the beach. Uh, this was filmed at the historic St. Mark's Lighthouse in Florida. And we got the vibraphone out there and set up cameras. And essentially what I had to do for that, I because I was playing the vibraphone solo, I actually had my phone in my pocket with a set of headphones and actually had pre-done click tracks um, for various sections of the piece and would actually have to hit play, throw my phone in my pocket, grab my mallets, and start playing and run down run down the piece or run specific chunks if I needed to, um, get that, get it all edited together, send it over to Graham for mastering, um, and then go back and sync up and match up audio cameras and audio cameras, match up the audio to the <laughs> camera feed. Sorry about that. And, um, but that was a, that was a, a really, really fun educational process for me, especially. Um, so, and with Graham's help, I think all of that was possible. So, 
Yeah, the footage ended up looking really gorgeous. That that location's awesome. Thanks. And for the video, for here's a fun fact: there were actually a lot of flies out on the beach that day, and I, you know, hadn't I don't go out to the beach too too much, um, and especially um, a beach like that is at St. Mark's. And so we get out there, get the vibraphone set up. It's it's pretty hot, and we realize that not only were there flies all around the beach, there are also sand fleas. So it's oh, like boy. trying to play through the solo, hit the button on my phone, all these things while your legs are getting eaten up. But the the fun fact I was going to say with the flies, I was actually able to digitally remove. Um, I'd say about 85% of the flies from the actual video. Um, That's crazy. Through some new plugins I was able to get a hold of. Um, so that was neat. So go check out that video, listen to Graham's great audio work, and see if you can't um, find maybe some of the flies I missed or something like that. And Yeah, you, I didn't miss any of them, so, so good work on that. I, kn- I know there are two. There are two left, and at the end it was like, it's just not worth it. Um, so there are two flies, go find them and, you know, give me the timestamp or something. We'll <laughs> have to send out some green vibe swag for anyone that really has that much time on their hands. Maybe I should find them. There you go. <laughs> Graham's <laughs> like, you guys don't pay me, please give me anything. A t-shirt help. Yes. T-shirt. There you go. No, the, yeah. That piece was super fun to work on. That's a, that, that's such a different sound than I'm, than I'm used to for like vibraphone music. It, it's basically like a pop kind of dance EDM sort of thing and it's beautifully produced by by taylor it's it just sounds really nice so graham talking about that so we recorded all of the vibraphone solo audio now there's a whole backing track that goes along with the piece too and this was just like andrew patrick's piece a castle in the air that we talked about earlier um both of these pieces had a backing track so like what's what is your process for adding that in 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 post-production well, th- they were slightly different processes because for Andrew's piece, I actually kind of created the backing track. Patrick actually requests that the performer find a soundscape um, that they would like to play the piece to. So normally when you have a piece with a backing track, the composer sends you a completed product, kind of yeah. like Taylor did um, for her piece, Ocean Vibes. They'll send you the the backing track and then you essentially are able to hit play at the beginning and then play with it. For Patrick's piece, it was different. And um, Graham, you were just explaining how you kind of built that track. So talk talk about that. Yeah, so I, I ended up using a few different uh, ambient patches. So uh, the main one was basically just insect noises and frog noises, but I felt that that one on its own was a little bit too distracting. So I ended up mixing it in with just wind noises and tree noises. And those things combined actually made a really organic sounding uh, sort of nature backing track, in my opinion. Yeah. And so that that's just neat. You know, we're talking about green vibes and commissioning eco-friendly music, playing on eco-friendly instruments as much as we can. And even now, uh, Graham, this is even kind of creating, you know, we created the lagerine, we're creating all these new things. And Graham, you're even a part of that process. Um, literally creating audio that we, you know, will sit there and simultaneously perform, perform to perform with. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's pretty neat from that aspect of being a part of that, that process. So then talk about Taylor's piece. Um, you weren't creating that track, but you still had to balance and blend and. Yeah. I really just wanted to tell a story with what she had come up with. Um, and a lot of that was just, 
making sure that at any given moment, the balance between the vibes and the track was really good. And and that changes throughout the song because, you know, sometimes the vibes just don't project in a certain register or, you know, whatever it is. So I did a lot of automation passes and um, I even did just a little bit of EQ. I wanted to really stay true to what she had created, but I needed to make a little bit of space for the vibes. Mm. Um, and I also tried to automate in ways that would really give impact to the big moments and that was that was automating the vibes and automating the track just so that everything kind of came together um at the same time nice and just you know another one of those moments graham talk talk about automation real quick when what go into depth a little bit on that so automation is just when you take any sort of parameter and it's most commonly the fader so you're just controlling the level and you make it so that um Every time you play through a section, uh, the fader automatically moves based on automation that you've created. Mm-hmm. And what that allows you to do is instead of just having a static mix where at certain moments maybe something's too loud and something's too soft, you get to control that. And then instead of having to live mix it every time, you just make it so that the mix is correct every time. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's phenomenal. Super, super cool. So there's, there's a lot more that goes into... Um, recording our, our pieces and all of our production quality um, than simply setting up a pair of mics, hitting go, and matching up the audio and video. There's there's a lot more that's done in post. And let's, mm-hmm. let's take this moment to go ahead and here's our shameless plug. Um, so Graham and I, obviously our friendship has grown over the years and we have recently decided to actually go into business together. So the shameless plug is we've recently started our own production company called greenhouse productions and we're super excited. Graham is going to be our full-time audio engineer and I'll be our full-time video engineer, um, videographer, and we are open for business. So we will do remote, um, recording for, uh, pretty much anyone throughout the U.S. If we need to go abroad, I guess we could. Haven't talked about that. I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Hey, uh, Tim and Jason, World Percussion Group, hit me up. Um, yeah, so that's our new production company that we just started. Um, we're super excited. And Graham, why don't you talk about um, some of the projects we've recently completed? Yeah, so our first big project has been for Andy Harnsberger, Marimba Virtuoso, uh, well-known in the percussion community. And we did um, four pieces for him mm-hmm. back in January. Yep. And it was this huge percussion ensemble session. It was really fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Dr. Harnsberger had four pieces um, premiered at PASIC um, this past year. Um, he had those four pieces commissioned and... Um, him and a group of amazing musicians, Dr. Scott Herring, Dr. Caitlin Jones, and Dr. Bailey Seabury, all the doctors now, um, <laughs> were, in this, were in this quartet. And um, Dr. Harnsberger was the marimba solos on all four pieces with his wonderful backup band, and they, they killed it. So I think, what, give us some statistics, Graham. Do you know what the current play count was for some of those? Well, Unbreakable, which is the piece by Andy himself, which is just mm-hmm. an amazing piece, that has actually hit, um, I believe it just hit 80,000 views, which wow. is crazy. 
Um, and then a few of the others are in the 20,000 and then some are in the, you know, six, 7,000 right. range. So it's really amazing to get that much exposure. Yeah. And Dr. Harnsberger has a really touching story that goes along with why he wrote Unbreakable. Um, and he posted about that the, the other week on social media, but just some personal journeys that he's been on and some things that he's had to overcome. Really powerful. But yeah, Unbreakable is an incredible piece. Uh, go check that out on YouTube right now on Andy Harnsberger's YouTube channel. Uh, you could probably likely find um, a link on Facebook as well if you're searching around. The video is also on our website, greenhouseproductions.com, and that is greenhouse, H-A-U-S, the German spelling, so greenhouse, if you want to say it that way, you can, but greenhouse productions. Well, Graham, I, I think that's been wonderful. Um Thanks for being on the podcast today and just kind of talking some tech talk about some of our recording sessions that we've done in the past. So thanks for being on. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. And that was the second episode of the Green Room Podcast. Thanks again, Graham, for being on the podcast today. And check in for future episodes. There'll be a new episode every month. Um, this is just our laid-back podcast there where we will talk about all things green vibes and how to stay eco-friendly in your musical and your own personal lives. Take care. Take care.